Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to be talking forages and some options for after wheat comes off. Our spotlight, we'll take a look at a new Syngenta herbicide being registered. Egg History Minute, we'll talk the history of Farm Aid. Cool Beans, that's corny, we'll have some current events and we'll wrap things up with a Field Good Friday. With me today are Max Garvey. What's up everybody? Todd Schauber. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. Now, I've, I've had a pallet fire before, but the pallet fire sounds like it's, uh, it's been doing some pretty good damage down in the southern part of Washera County. Yeah. Yep. I mean, we, we do get wildfires in Wisconsin. It's not uncommon to have one, but uh, with the, the wildfire smoke from Canada and everything being a, a big deal this year, having our own kind of pop up is making a little bit more news than probably it normally would. And it did just do some damage, burn some homes and some other structures. I think they said like up to like 54 structures or something like that. Yeah, a lot of, sh- really? a lot of it was sheds and stuff and outbuildings but yeah I don't remember having wildfire problems ever especially that hit a structure that just yeah most of the time they're they're in like bogs and other areas like like I said we have them in Wisconsin it's not like we don't get them it's just they don't usually get close to populations and burning buildings and stuff down it's a pretty um, uncharted territory for for us but in a drought year, probably not the best idea to be burning crap in general. And that's kind of, from what I've read, sounds like what they think started it was some debris from somebody burning something and got out of control. I actually started burning brush in my backyard last night and then like thought about it for a second and went, mm, maybe, maybe, I, maybe yeah. I don't do this. <laughs> yeah. The, the where it shows it to it went over State Highway 21. Yeah. yeah. You know, like this isn't, it, no, I mean, that's a, a remote part. Which is luckily still under construction. Over, I think right. that section was closed, so. Right. <clears throat> you cannot, yeah, because it's between Watoma and Coloma. You can't get through there right now. So, yes, yeah. you're right. If that was an active fire while the road was open, I think we would have seen a, a lot, lot more, of, you're a lot right. more issues. Because, I mean, just the dust across the roads when it's dry like this can cause issues but having smoke and everything else would have been a a big problem i'm sure the the official dnr wildfire view website says 730 acres burned there was 19 structures lost and 78 structures saved so i don't know what that exactly means of say like did it burn they a little have, bit must have diverted the fire around, around it, it yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they've had departments from all over. I think, what did I just see? Nina was down there helping. And, yeah, there's... That, that is the thing, too, is wildfires are different than structure fires. It's a whole different... Well, yeah, like, you took a class on that, man. I did, yeah. I. That's officially wildfire train certified. I I certified, yeah. Wildfire management, or whatever you want to say. But, um, yeah, it's just a whole different set of tactics and... Usually, the, you go into the burn part to try to fight the flames rather than get ahead of it because they move so fast, and that's where you you do go. You go to the not burn, like the no, part you, that's already burned. You fight the fire from the burned from side, behind almost. Yeah, weird because it'll move so fast it'll burn up trucks and sure and stuff before you can really even effectively do anything. And it's so yeah, it's interesting. The what I learned in that class versus you know what I've seen in in real life. I mean, my dad was a firefighter for I don't even know how many twenty some years. I mean, the difference between structural and wildfire is is quite a bit different type of firefighting. So it's it's interesting. Did you ever see that movie about the Granite Mountain Hotshots? Was it only the Brave? I have not seen that. I I've never seen it. I want like I see all I see clips on TikTok all the time and oh my god, it looks I, pretty, pretty I sweet. saw um <laughs> I'm trying to think of it. The one with John Cena. It was like a kids movie. 
when we watched that one, or they're like fire jumpers and end up having to save a bunch of kids or something. I, but that was less realistic, more comedy type thing. I can't. I had no idea what movie you're talking about. I wish it was something. I'm gonna look it up now because I can't remember the name. I just knew the know the movie Only the Brave is about the Grand Mountain Hot Shots, and they like basically they get caught in the fire, and they do they they, they all die at the end. Playing much. with fire, yeah. Playing, Playing with, with fire, yes. And it was John Cena, John Leguizamo, uh, Keegan Michael Key. So yes, you could tell it was a very serious movie. Um, and yeah, then a bunch of kids. Tyler Maine, which I think is another WWE guy. Tyler like. Maine. Uh, yeah, Canadian actor and retired professional wrestler. Oh, it was the guy that played Sabretooth in X-Men. There you go. And he was Michael Myers in the remakes of Halloween and Halloween 2. But yeah, no, it was just a... It was like a kid's movie, but they happened to be wildland firefighters that end up saving these kids in the middle of the woods. Sure, and then they have to take care of them. Right. And as it reads here... And comedy ensues. Yes. The three men soon learn that children, much like fires, are wild and unpredictable. Dang, what (laughs) a line. That's That's a good end, yeah. Yeah, so there you go. Thanks for listening to our... Kids movie have you seen, podcast. Have you seen this? Was, I have, I have uh, seen the movie yet. All the fire was, movies we could think of podcast. <laughs> yeah. I've also seen Backdraft, <laughs> which is a whole different like end of the spectrum. But yeah, no, I I did see the movie. It was not terrible. I mean it's a kids movie, so it's obviously a lot of like falling and physical humor, diaper humor, a lot of that kind of stuff, from what I remember. I think we need more firefighter movies. Like a good one. Yeah, I, mean, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Are they both? Yeah, they're both firefighters in that. It's not a good one, but it's, I, it's I've a firefighter. Also, I've seen that one. Yeah, Backdraft. What was the one? Uh, There's one with like John Travolta a few years ago too. That was a more serious one. I remember seeing. That was like New York firefighters. Firefighter. Yeah, I don't. I can't. I don't know. I can't think of us another one. I don't, it's weird. We're remaking everything. Why couldn't we have come up with one good original Fireman movie? Ladder 49. There you go. Yeah, That was the one. Him and Joaquin Phoenix. Which, ugh, Joaquin Phoenix, but still. <laughs> we're not we're not mad about Joaquin Phoenix at the Grammys, but we're like a little mad. Yeah. Or the Emmys, whatever it was. Whatever it was, yeah. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Okay. This wildfire in Wisconsin, the reason it's crazy, I figured out, is all the other wildfires are like 0.2 acres-ish. This one's 700. Right. That's the, no, that is it. Significantly like, bigger, yeah. That is wild how much different. And it, and this isn't, I mean, you're not, this is not far from Coloma. Like, you're a half a mile. No, it was Coloma. right there. I was in Coloma this week. It was right there. Like, and you're, you're right in, like, Amish country right there. Yep. So you wonder if any like those, yeah, it's just the Amish very, fire brigade right, was out right. fighting the fire, too. What they were doing with this. I wonder, like, where that ranks in, like, like wildfires by area burned. Peshtigo's got to be, like, the OG of wildfires. Yeah. I mean, that was a big, it's bigger than the Chicago fire, which gets all the press. I, uh, yeah, <laughs> it takes the shine away. That's why it's the Forgotten Fire. Why they have the Forgotten Fire winery up there? Oh, there's other. There's some other like big ones. I guess I didn't know about the German Road Fire, seventy five hundred acres. The Cottonville Fire of two thousand five, thirty four hundred acres. Crystal Lake Fire, uh, one point two to one point five million acres was Peshtigo. Really? That's Holy what, shit! That's what it says here. Scorched 1.2 to 1.5. Actually, stretched both sides from this picture, both sides of the bay. So that's what I that somebody told me that that it, it skipped the bay, which I'm like, no, it could, and yeah. So the southern, think of that how southern that door jumps. and northern Kiwani, like New Franken area, that all burned on the door side, and then on 
like basically Little Suamico to the UP. There was chunks that burned. According to this, 1,200 people died, 800 of which in Peshtigo alone. Wow. Yeah. It says right in here, this is on the Wisconsin DNR website. Survivors reported that the fire was caused by railroad workers clearing land for tracks, but we may never know if that is true or not because the Peshtigo fire happened on the same night as the Great Chicago Fire. Yeah. It says it burned 16 t- other towns besides Peshtigo. city was gone in an hour. So you can imagine that, like, fire starts an hour later. There is no town anymore. Okay. So this is one of the greatest, like, you know, you hear grandpa or whatever tell, the, like, the wild stories. The greatest thing I think I ever heard out of one of those was my buddy's grandpa. Guy knows a lot, but he told me, he said, and this is how exactly he says it. I'll tell you what, man, that great Pashtigal fire, boys. She was so hot, it boiled the river. That's what he told me. He's like, people tried to hide in the river, and it boiled the river. So it must have been pretty hot. I don't think I don't know that that's really possible, but <laughs> the like boil river would be <laughs> have to be a pretty shallow river. I'm not a hydrology major or anything, right? Hydrology that'd be the study of water, right? Sure. But I don't think it boiled the river, but it was big. So yeah, I was just trying to see here. The article does mention Chicago, and it doesn't. Three hundred lives. Only three hundred people died in the Chicago fire. And three square miles of the city were destroyed, which accounted for 17,000 buildings. For Just for reference here, so we, we talked about it burned 700 acres, but earlier this summer we were talking about um, like the Canada wildfires. As of right now... June as of June thirtieth, the Canada wildfires have uh, burned around twenty million acres. acres. Yeah, they said by the end of it, they expected basically the the almost the size of the Midwest an area to have burned. So, so like Minnesota, Wisconsin, <laughs> Iowa, Northern Illinois, Michigan, like that. That That's much nuts. land surface that will be gone. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. Just crazy. Anyway, we're supposed we're supposed to get more smoke from Canada starting today. Yeah. yeah, it's coming. I think it's hitting like Minnesota, South Dakota, North Dakota, that area now. Yeah, they said it was supposed to be, be to be hit Milwaukee by like noonish today. So I don't know if it's coming <clears throat> from what you just said. Sounds like it's coming from west to east. So, yeah, we should expect to see a little more haze. I mean, it is kind of gray out this morning, but... It was hazy yesterday, too, I think. A little bit, not... But I don't think it was smoke. I think it's because we got some rain and... Yeah. Yeah, it was weird. Like, when we did get that rain, what was that Wednesday afternoon? Yep. Like, it looked like rain all day. I kept checking the radar, like, oh, it's going to break up. But it just looked like rain all day, and then when it actually did rain, it was like, oh, oh, this is nice. How much did you get at your house? Did you have a rain gauge out? Not no, enough, but nothing. like two tenths. Yeah, so right. like Tilth World Headquarters got two tenths. So, but it, it was more south this time. Where, say, yeah. I don't Denver, know if I got a tenth at my yeah, house. Like yeah. Madison area where they really need rain. That yeah, they got one and a half more significant amounts. But yeah, it, it wasn't enough to really account. For, like I don't think my grass grew all that much as a result. I don't think my concrete ever got fully wet. Like it rained that on and off. Like well, it was slow too. It was a. It was the right kind of rain because it was a slow. It was like a slow, steady rain. Steady rain, but it yeah. wasn't a soaker rain. Yeah, yeah, not here, didn't, anyways. Didn't get the volume. Not here, but it's okay. I said we're, we're going to need to harvest some wheat pretty soon. So, hey, do you think we'll start any fires in any wheat fields? I hope not. Oh but, my God, Todd! Why would you even say that? <laughs> that now you've jinxed it. Now yeah, somebody's going to burn up a combine. No, I'm congratulations. I have two carry fire equipment in your right. Combine. Yes, if you Just don't have a fire extinguisher in your combine, is, put one in there now. The weed is very dry and bri- like the actual plants the, did not mature. They just the crazy sort of thing. Quit. So I was like in 
on the eastern side of Winnebago last Thursday, and I drove around the southern part of the lake to get there. All the like, this is the earliest I remember seeing wheat like look ready, but then you'd like catch these spots where it must have got rain because you could see the green out there. Yep, it's like no, it's just dry. It's not. Not necessarily physical maturity. It's just the fact that it's that dry. I've, I have two fields of wheat off, about 100, uh, 200 acres probably off. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It was dry yeah. this spring. I mean, yeah. No, around here, it was the, the kernels were still soft. The drought isn't real till till you have the first like yield that you can yeah, feel it. You know what yeah. I mean? And yeah, <laughs> the wheat yield so far, you can feel it. Yep. It's been, yeah, pretty. Pretty subpar, but I don't. I think we all kind of knew it was coming. So it's a good way to say it, though. The drought isn't like it's all predicted. You're like, oh, it's not hit that bad, and then you get some yields, and you're like, okay. Well, hey, the one thing is, hey, kind of hung on through second yeah, crop, second and crop I don't know well. how it did that. No, but looking at third crops right now, they're not. They're not great. They're not going to be good. Yeah, and some of them got some rain to kind of rescue them, but they're. But we were supposed to be cutting not, on Wednesday. Yeah, so it didn't really. Yeah, they're gonna cut as soon as it dries off now, and and it was all budding out and right, yeah, because it was yeah. Anyway, but yeah, so we I got I got two hundred acres off. It's um, you know, <laughs> grown better wheat. It's something. Yeah, <laughs> some, there's some straw there, I guess. So anyway, yeah, I guess well, with that we might as well get right into the topic. So as we're looking at. Into the eyes of wheat harvest here, you know, and with hay potentially struggling for a third crop if it didn't already struggle in second crop uh, forage, what do we do and what can we do here following wheat? Maybe that'll give us a little extra to kind of get going. I like this topic, Max. I think you you picked a good relevant one here and you're you're trying to get it like this year, right? Not, not well, what do we do so we get something next year? Okay. That's part of the conversation because I, that's the debate I'm having. You know, in certain places, we we feel really good about our inventory and we think we're going to be pretty, sh- you know, hay is going to be kind of crappy the next two cuttings. So do we just go ahead and get our new seeding in because we know we're going to need it next year? Or do you say, you know what, our inventories aren't as good. We'd like to get something else now. And it's a real conversation, I think, a lot of well, places. We've, part of, part we've of made the- good feed the last two years, but it Get sh- it doesn't take long to get short either. Right. There's the other. So you're, yeah, yeah I like your question. There's, do you do your alfalfa new seeding after wheat or do we go to a alternative forage crop, try to get something this year? And then maybe the third question is, do you do an alternative forage crop to get something next year, are, next spring? Are you, you're kicking the can down the road in one way or the other. So that's kind of what you got to figure. Do you want to fight the battle today or do you want to fight it next summer? What do you want to do? Um, well, it's still going to be a battle because we're still not getting a lot of rain here. So right. I, even that, p- planting a forage isn't going to be a guarantee. Not necessarily, but planting your new seeding either. Right. You may or may not. That, you, that success rate could it, be interesting. If, if you plant your new seeding and it never rains again this fall, now you have to replant your new seeding next spring and alfalfa is more expensive to plant than alternative forage. Right. If you want to boil it down and make it as simple, as simple stupid as you can get it, I'd say that's that's pretty much the conversation. Um no, it's usually not that simple. So, you know, take that for what it is. But I think, I think you need to do something. I don't think there should be many wheat acres that get left alone this year. I think there will be a lot of dairies that reach out to grain farmers and say, "Hey, uh, so you got some wheat off? Can we do something with that?" Or what do you think? So I do see that happening. Um, but and yeah, you've hopefully got some manure that you can bring into the mix to get some moisture out there to maybe get yeah. things started. Yeah, that's the that's probably the first that's probably the first thing is we're going to take wheat off and haul manure and then it's kind of okay. So we we have if your wheat came off today, you got about 10 days to figure out what you're going to really roll with here, right? By the time the manure crow shows up, gets it on, gets dry and you can do something with it. Um 10 days. I guess the first the A number one well. Let, let's start with the days. I think that's an important part. Is every day you burn in like Especially, usually it's early August when we're talking about these yep. things. And every day that you let go by is extremely important, especially if it's a day that where we do get rain and you miss those. That is, 
we just need rain at this point to germinate these things, and usually we'll get enough moisture somewhere to get you something for forage. But you think those are important days is, is we're just running out of heat units at this point. That's all it is, is we're, yeah. we're just running out of time. So yep. the, right after harvest, if you can you know get manure on right away and then just try to get it planted as quick as you can, that just really helps. And, and all these, most, not all of these, but generally we go with uh, cool season crops for these forages. So yeah, they're cool season. They still take GDUs to reach maturity, so or to reach to put, make tonnage. So the first number, one, like number one, I think the most like common is to go with a bin run oats or even certified oats, straight oats. Um, I have two bullet points for this one: basic and simple. It's not hard to figure this one out. Two bushels to the acre, get it in the ground, move on with life. It's relatively consistent and predictable. We know what to expect with this. It's the same every time. Like you. You know, that's pretty much it's there's not a lot of variables in this one. You you put it in, it comes up and you move on. Like it's not not rocket science here. So and you can get away with a bin run deal on this. I don't I don't think you need to go crazy. Um you don't need to go crazy, I guess. Um the next step would or the next the the next pop pretty popular one is to go uh peas and oats. So all same deal, just adding some uh peas in. Peas will improve quality and protein. So if you want to put in up a little more, a little more high quality forage, um, I think that's doable. Um, we could probably get this. Cow, we could probably make this as cow feed, honestly, if we do it right. Well, the upside with peas and oats too is even like looking against like a new seeding, even early on with seedings where I had peas and oats. The peas and oats were coming through even when the alfalfa maybe wasn't. So your potential of a, a better quality stand is probably going to be higher using this rather than, you know, if, if you're looking at an alternative to doing a new seeding now because right. you're worried about the expense of the alfalfa. Yeah, and, and um, you know, adding peas in generally adds a little bit of tonnage. I'm not going to say it adds a, a ton to the acre, but it seems like it does bulk it just just a hair. Um, the one the one watch out or the one thing that, you know, kind of turns guys off from this one is is you can potentially be really slow drying in the fall. Those peas can kind of hold some moisture and just make it hard to get it put. You know what it's like trying to get crop to dry in October when it's it does forty degrees. Dry. It like it just yeah. kind of and there's heavy dews and there's right shorter daylight. Day and there's time, snow. There's so. snow in the forecast. Right. You're like ah yeah. So that is the one I guess watch out now. If the weather pattern continues what we've had, so the way this year's going, that probably maybe isn't going to be as big of an issue. I don't think you're going to have to worry. But I think it'll get plenty dry. So. I guess that I guess you know watch out on that, and then this the next one, this one here. Let's start with those two. Is those are the main two options, right? safest bets? I, I mean, your your oats is going to get. We, we know how to grow oats. Oats has been grown in Wisconsin for a long time. Good tonnages is is these two would be the to me the starting points that you should just default. This here's to your these. Cadillac program, yes. boys. Actually, you, you don't want to go with. Uh, you know, your newer, fancier type models. These are the old standbys. They're great. They're going to get out there. They're going to do it a job. I'm actually, I'm actually going to roll out my uh, my new and improved oats method here that, it, you know, Todd, you and I <laughs> yeah. talked about this this week. Uh, forage oats. We've, you know, you hear forage oats. So I was doing some price comparisons and looking around and fielding some questions on this. And forage oats were double the price of like a certified Ogle or Jerry oat. So 22 bucks a bag versus 44 bucks a bag. So I started thinking, if we could save $22 an acre by doing one bag of forage oats and one bag of standard certified oats, and your tonnage is going to, I'm willing to bet your tonnage is not going to drop off much, and it'll probably be a little higher quality than standard oats, I think it's probably worth it to mix them together and plant them together in one big kind of jumbled mess. Um, so that was one thing we were talking about this year, because that also will take some of the risk out. Your hedging risk, yeah. which is yeah. good. And, and there, too, the risk on the forage oat side is we run out of basically heat to grow it because it, it does, I wouldn't say it takes more heat, but it, it just gives you, gets taller, bigger, more vegetative that yep. way. And then you, you cheapen it by adding the regular oats, which will, those should be there. We'll know they'll be fine. I mean, I'm, so sure, I'm sure you can dig around and find prices that are different than what I'm saying. But when I was looking, it was $22 an acre difference by, by uh, cutting out one bag of uh, forage oats. So, 
22 if i told you i need other t- like if i told you to go spray something right now for 22 bucks an acre oh my god that's expensive so the other way and, this should be a pretty big savings right and the goal of this is to be fairly low input extreme you know like you <laughs> right. need to well, when you we're start going to be you start doing the math. The bank on that one. right you start because doing the, math. the risk is high at this stage forage yeah. oats at 90 dollars an acre right and, it, and then it doesn't rain that that hurt. hurt. That's yeah. that's pretty good kick in the shorts. So, you know, I kind of wanted to maybe <laughs> I couldn't completely say no, but I was like, let's maybe think about some other options here. And right now, risk risk mitigation is the name of the game. So, all right, now we're gonna move into some more risky stuff, some less less kind of consistent, a little more eh, wouldn't be my first choice, and that'd be uh, like a sorghum stangrass, um, sorghum some something that family. I mean, we don't have a lot of heat units. Yeah, I don't think you could do a straight sorghum for sure. I just I, w- straight sorghum, no. no. Sedang, sorghum, sedangrass. sedangrass. Yeah, there, there's there too. We've already lost a lot of heat units, so basically, it'll probably work. It's just going to freeze off in the fall or get frosted to harvest it. And I've seen it work really well, where guys get you know where it does get enough heat and grow big, and I've seen it where it just totally flops. So, so, like you say, you, 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 but your potential there is for bigger tons. Like this one's gonna out yield oats if yeah. it gets the right. If things go well, there is some monster tonnage to be had. However, it should not go well. Yeah. We should not. We don't have that. Like, it's not like planting it in June and seeing all those heat units in front of you. All we see very few. Like, we're there's not that many left. Well, in, this in, all, in all honesty, it, it all depends on which September we get. In Wisconsin, we get two right. Septembers. We get a hot September, <laughs> or we get a. Guess what? It's September first, and we just dropped thirty degrees, yeah. and we're never going to get back. That's to true. It. Yeah, I mean, it, and here, it realistically, and that's the that's the risk is we get a good the good September scenario, and yeah, you're going to have enough heat units, so you probably get some good tonnage. And you know, sorghum sorghum's kind of a wuss when it comes to frost. Like, if it dips below much below forty, you see it starting to give up. Where oats. Oats can take a pretty good frost and kind of keep keep moving, so you get a longer growing season out of those. Yeah, well, that's your cool season versus your warm season, right? Yeah. Um, sorghum, sorghum sedangrass, pretty expensive in comparison. Um, depending on rates, you know, I I personally am twenty five to thirty five pounds, eh, twenty to thirty. I know. I was talking to a couple guys who got recommendations from their seed dealers this week, and the seed dealer's recommendation was thirty to forty-five, which I thought oh, that's pretty. That's pretty aggressive. That's quite a bit of money being stuck out there. So I'd say even at thirty pounds an acre, sandgrass is plenty expensive compared to oats at that that at that rate. So it'd be the, the like I said, risk mitigation. You're 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 putting a little more on the line here. Um, it's a this is kind of a home run type swing. Yeah, it really yeah, this is. is like home run derby. And like, type deal if it works, you just, you well, look, you're gonna look like a genius. Yeah, if it doesn't, it's gonna hurt. So, I I would say with this, I mean, if you need the forage, you need the forage. But this one, where if if you didn't need the forage but you could use it, this is a great cover crop. If it's still out there too, you yeah, know, that's gonna die in the fall and be there if it's a half a crop it, it'll it'll feed your soil just fine as well i will say all the things we've covered so far and what we will cover going forward all will set you up to have a pretty nice looking uh place to put alfalfa next spring like yeah. they're all very doable or like corn or corn but um, realistically we're I if mean, we're putting alternative forage in, it's probably going to end up as alfalfa next year right because we're skipping the alfalfa this fall to put it in here next year so uh, I got one more uh, that we kind of got in here already, and that would be uh, barley. Todd, I know you were you were kind of working on this, this this year. I my number one my number one uh, thing with barley is don't grow it a lot, so it's not going to be that consistent. We know what to expect. Not that we can't figure it out. Not that we don't kind of know what to expect, but it's just when you oh, you've only I've. I've seen five fields of barley ever. We're growing like, a lot more barley with cover crop mixes, you know, your barley radish, yeah. your barley cover crop, and then that bodes into this of, of using it as forage. And you know, like I said, we're, we're just so used to oats that this one's a little different. It doesn't mean it's necessarily bad. I think you're, you're going to get probably slightly better quality than straight oats without um, 
you know, but le- like a little better quality, but a little less tons. It's definitely a, as soon as you can get out there, get it in You're gonna type to, yep. in. to get, again, with the heat units and everything, you you want to get as much tonnage as possible. So I think any of these, if you want to be fast on the draw, but barley is one where we've seen the later you get into the fall, the less tonnage you're going to get out of it because it's just not going to grow as fast. And Yep. Um, so early's good. Um, even mixing with other stuff, like, that's that's the thing is with all these is they're all could work as cover crop mixes or forage. So even if you don't get the forage out of it that you want, you're still keeping the ground covered. Yep. If you're doing manure, you know, you've got something to take up the, the nutrients, and that's a good thing, too. And whether you get the forage or not, take them off now or uh, holding it there for the next year. So there's there's good potentials here for, you know, if you're already doing cover crops, just m- making sure you're using some of these mixes to have that option for the forage side is a good way to mitigate some of the risk as well. So I did have that question this week. They, um, and a girl asked me, he's like, well, you know, we've done some of these seven-way mixes in the past after wheat. You know, that seems like it makes a jungle out there. Why can't we just do that? So they were talking like peas, oats, radishes, vetch, like the whole big, you know, I love cover crop mix. And I, I said, it does generally make pretty good, pretty good pile of biomass. Um, that stuff dries down to nothing. I mean, it's 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 all water. Um, so I, I wouldn't recommend that um, personally. I know there's a guy that did it around here a few probably five years ago. He chopped like radish radishes, turnips, oats, um, and basically went in the silo, filled the silo full, and two weeks later the silo was a quarter full, and all the water ran out the bottom. Like it, it's yeah. kind of a sludgy, it's wet a, mess. It's a good way to put it. Is there's other options out there. They're just tough. To harvest and put up at times yeah. you know they they're hard to get dry they're hard to store properly and what, but, but what gr- i'm saying here is this looks good on in the field but in a bunker it's not there's nothing left so, to it so what i would push on those is more of a graze. if you have an option to graze beef cattle now that is know, a different that, deal yep, you know yep. and you want to you got an oats field and you know it's got a big old fence around it plant something like that throw some cattle out to graze there's still some some more easy to have to have with bloating and other things that you have to watch with certain species, but I think that would be a way to to do this versus trying to put it up as feed. Are we missing any that you can that either of you guys can think of? Any other crops that you really would like or feel good about doing like right now? I think these are the main ones that I would stick to. I know we I, ta- we I, talked about doing like a spring trade or a spring. I I wouldn't. That, that's what I would say. Here's a, there is other options. It's just talk talk to your nutritionist, talk to your agronomist. Figure out if that is your best option. And, and it wouldn't hurt to try other things. The truth here is we have not used this window as much as we probably should. And it seems like oats is always the go-to just because it kind of worked and it was cheap. Well, that's tough to beat. I think that's yeah. part of the problem is how do you beat? Well, I think, too, you're, you, know, you can take this off this fall. And if you time it right, you might be able to get Ryan behind it and still get some spring forage. So? Yeah. Oh yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I get I, my point on that is I don't, I would probably just go to some corn silage acres I, and plant my rye. And it, yeah. You know, like, no, I, but, but you could, absolutely. You but could. yeah, I think you could get in. Yeah. I think you could even mix rye in with, you know, some of this stuff and, and still take it as forage. Actually last year we, I, I, we actually did this with somebody. We did, um, what did we do? We did peas and oats and triticale, like winter trit, and we planted all that after wheat, and then we cut the peas and oats in the fall with the triticale in it, cut it, chopped it, all that stuff, and then harvested triticale and planted corn silage just spring, and it, it worked. I mean, it was yeah. successful. No, it's a it's a bet, bet hedger, so you're, if you're harvesting this fall, you maybe your tonnage of trit isn't going to be... Because you're, you've got a little less out there in the spring, there's that potential. I'm not saying it's going to guarantee less, but you might get less in the spring. But either way, you're getting forage in the fall, forage in the spring, and the potential for both, even if you don't collect both. I, w- I will say, Todd, you, you've said it quite a few times now today, like these are what we know and what we trust, not that the other things can't work. It's just we, don't, we haven't done them enough. The, the, the $12, $13 milk is going to make it really hard to be 
adventurous. Yeah, right. Like we, yeah. we need this is the year to follow the old standby and do it and well, get and, the guaranteed. Take the as close to guaranteed thing as we get in farming. Probably when milk goes back up to twenty four, let then if you want to try some crazy stuff, I think you know we should maybe think about. We should remember this year and be like, okay, let's not do the old standby. We have a little bit more room to work with here. Let's let's try something different, but. That would be my that, that's my my two cents on this deal. So yeah, I think it's it's managing risk, and that's something we do on farms all the time. Is figuring out what you need, what you're willing to you know spend for a budget, and what do you think is going to get you the most bang for the buck. And yep. that, that's what you got to do. I mean, that's yeah. I think some other considerations that kind of bode with that is how much space you have to store it. Yep. So, and especially that it'll, it'll come off this fall, and that's the goal, obviously. But say you already have a lot of of heifer feed stored, you're not gonna, ha- and you're gonna have a big corn silage pile, and you know, th- th- this is about the time where you usually have the most feed stored. Hopefully, is going into the winter. So <laughs> well, hopefully. hopefully, so you're gonna have to talk to your nutritionist about that. Of okay, what do, what do we have? For inventory, what do we have for storage space? Where is this going to go? And what could happen there is they say, you're going to be, you know, everything's going to be full or it's going to be hard to make a separate pile of this. Or a, um, So you might have to consider putting a bag somewhere. Um, you might have to pick a different forage that, you know, we do plant a little later, like a, and then it's ready next spring, you know, like a, like a rye or a, or a winter triticale, winter rye, winter triticale, where, okay, I know that's going to be ready next spring. I'll have a little more pile space to store it. Um, so that that's one thing to really watch is just check check your inventories. The nice part is I think you can fit some of these options that we're talking about and then some of that rye and trit for even next spring. And I'm not a nutritionist. I'll never pretend to be, but they do fit in a ration in a way that you can take, save on some on corn silage and some on haylage. They kind of can replace a little bit of both. They're not a full replacement for either, but no matter what you're short on, they're going to help replace some of it somewhere. So, um, utility. Yep. Utility. Yeah. Uh, I will, <laughs> um, guy, guy in town here that we, that we work with once in a while, he said to me last week, he said, call us free choice, cement or snowballs. <laughs> you know, that's kind of, you get the same result. So if you got to put it in a bag and it's a pain in the butt, it's, <laughs> it's better than, better than snowballs. I know snowballs don't make a lot of milk. No. Yeah. And I think two, one other thing to consider is if you, anytime you're harvesting, whether you took off the wheat and the straw, just the wheat, you get this fall heart, fall forage fertilizer. Keep in mind that you're taking nutrients out every, every harvest you're taking something out. And if you're not putting it back for the next crop, you, you got to keep that in mind. That's why manure is a perfect fit here. Right. Manure yeah. is a great fit if, you, so, if you've so got to, it, but if not, then... It, and if you don't, then, yeah, look at the rec for whatever crop you just picked and make sure, like you said, especially not only nitrogen potentially, but P and K on that is you look at a winter wheat crop that you take the straw and the grain and then you throw forage in there, you're pulling a lot of potassium out of that soil. Yeah. So that one is one where you really got to watch that that you're keeping up with it. All right. One, I got one last oh, thing. Yeah, one more one thing. last thing right. is, is um, look back at herbicide on your wheat. Most, almost all the time when I look back, because I check this is, yeah, most is you're, you're fine. fine. Yeah. But there is a few, you know, a husky, you know, your seven days to grain, to barley, to oats is a month. So a lot of these are going to be, well, it's oh, pro- okay. Yeah. Um, the big, the biggest one on label is actually the alfalfa on husky. That one's four months, but yeah. And then affinity in general, you're fine there too. It's forty five days to pretty much everything. So, I I can't think of anything here. It's just something you always do want to consider. Yeah. When no, you're going to these a, crops, it's a good rule of thumb anytime but you're. That is one. What I would say is that is one good part about this scenario is when we look at interseeding into corn or. Or even cover crops after corn or soybeans, there's a lot more uh, considerations with herbicide carryover. Whereas in wheat, most of these wheat herbicides don't carry into your cover crop or any of this. So, so I'd actually say it's not something that you know you want to check and double check. But 
almost all the time you're okay and that's a good thing that's well, showing that and your oats this, and barley are small grains anyway correct. so, so you're going small grain to small, small grain small grain is yeah. not going to be an issue yeah it's yeah more for your peas or your sorghum sudan that you peas would probably be the most sensitive out of the things we talked about today to look at your plant back restrictions on peas but, man peas I, i've seen i've seen it in years where we sprayed corn late and then the next spring we go to put peas and oats with a alfalfa and all of a sudden you see the peas getting hit and it's like ooh. that's a good point because husky is nine months to green peas i don't see or field peas too so yeah that one might whiten them up a little more so so you're right so some of these you you yeah your peas that, are that's yeah probably the, the one you'd have to crowd. worry about the most yeah all right well, there you go there's some options for forage and things to think about as we move through wheat harvest and if you've got room after you get the manure out there to and need something to get to the cows, that's an option you can consider. Now we'll move into our spotlight for today. So EPA is in the process of registration for a new Syngenta corn herbicide. Storin combines four active ingredients, bicyclopyrone, mesotrione, esmetalchlor, and pyroxysulfone. So basically it's Acuron without the atrazine plus Zidua. If you like to look at trade names. You, you did that math real that quick That was there, really Matt. quick, Matt, yeah. <laughs> well, bicyclopyrone, that one's an easy one. Right. Meso, you know, they're all very common, esmetalchlor. And then it's just a matter of remembering what pyroxysulfone was. So... So yeah, weeds are continuing to evolve and outsmarting some herbicide programs. So Syngenta released this new product to hopefully help keep weeds at bay with multiple modes of action. It's labeled for pre-emergence and post-emergence in field and seed corn. Herbicide offers partial or full control for more than 74 weed species, including palmer, amaranth, and water hemp. So... Looking to control whatever ails you out there. A new tool in the toolbox on its way. That's right. Literally right on the Syngenta website, big old bold letters, residual that won't quit. (laughs) That storing just ain't going to quit. So it will be available at Syngenta Grow More Experience Sites, Farm Progress Show, and Husker Harvest Days. Pending state approval store will be available for all farmers in 2024. So I, I'm excited about this. Yeah, no, it should be good. It's always good to have different options to rotate through and hopefully to mitigate resistance by using multiple modes of action. So it's definitely something to keep your eye on as we move forward. Now we'll move into our Ag History Minute. Today we're talking Farm Aid, which started as an idea at the Live Aid concert when Bob Dylan said on stage, wouldn't it be great if we did something for our own farmers right here in America? So Willie Nelson, Neil Young, and John Mellencamp agreed that family farms were in dire need of assistance and decided to plan a concert for America. The show was put together in six weeks and was held on September 22, 1985 in Champaign, Illinois before a crowd of 80,000 people raised over $7 million for America's family farmers. Performers included Bob Dylan, Billy Joel, Bonnie Raitt, B.B. King, Loretta Lynn, Roy Orbison, Tom Petty, and many more. In the 1980s, family farmers faced a crisis the likes of which hasn't been seen since. The Great Depression, plummeting farm product prices and land values, rising interest rates, troubled credit markets, and unfair lending practices pushed tens of thousands of farms out of business, forcing millions of people off their land. It was in the context, or in this context, that Willie Nelson and others decided to start the concert and use the funds to help America's family farms. Dave Matthews Band uh, joined the board of directors in 2001, and Margot Price joined in 2021, adding more strong voices to farm aid's work. So yeah, really, uh, outside of like Tom Petty, uh, I guess Loretta Lynn, I'm trying to think who's all still alive here. Billy Joel, Bob Dylan, Willie Nelson, 
Yeah. So a few of them are still around. Some big names in there. I mean, this oh, yeah. isn't like a, you know, this isn't just this little dinky concert, man. There's just some big names in here. The, the 2023 lineup looks pretty good, too. I mean, you got Willie, of course. But then you got, I mean, there's some that, the John Mellencamp, he'd be cool. Dave Matthews, Margot Prince. I don't know some of these. Max, you probably know him. Tim I, Reynolds. <laughs> Neil Young. Tim Reynolds. That guy sounds like yeah, a that's, that's upper level management guy, not, right. a, not a singer. The String Cheese Incident. They must be a good band right there. But tickets aren't cheap. They're like hard to get right now, and they're at like 180 for two tickets. But it pretty much says they're sold out. And that's like on the lawn is 180. If you want to be in the thing, it's 400 bucks. Right. So Tim Reynolds is apparently a member of the Dave Matthews Band. Oh, that's where he okay. comes from. I just looked him up because I'm like, I've never heard of that guy. Ooh, Nathaniel Ratliff and the Night Sluts. Those guys are, those guys are fun. Yeah, the string cheese incident. I'm trying to the string cheese. See what their songs are. It's just a. <laughs> it's a very interesting name. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um. <laughs> It almost makes me want to, like, what is, yeah, what happened? In the string remember, cheese. Remember that, yeah. Remember that time with the string cheese? Nothing's <laughs> jumping out at me, but, uh, yeah, they do have a, a fair amount of songs. I, They've been around since at least 98, because I can see, around 97. Yeah, so they've been around a while. Oh, here's, here's why tickets are so expensive, is, the general public on sale starts on Saturday, July 15th. So basically the tickets really weren't for sale yet. The way not it's not public. Saturday. So right now you can get like in John Mellicamp's fan club pre-sale, you could buy now. So yes. So it'll be interesting. I don't, would you, ever, you guys you, ever go you, to you that concert? You look like you're a John Cougar think, Mellencamp fan oh, club um, yeah, member. For sure. Yeah. I think Farm Aid moves around, right? Does it though? That's what I was I'm wondering. Sure like, was this at, is in Noblesville, Indiana. I'm pretty sure it was at um I'm pretty sure it was at Alpine Valley one year. In um Elk in between East Turn and Elkhorn. No. Really? Yes. I'm almost positive it was at That'd be cool. That's cool. Alpine Valley Farm Aid. Yeah, Alpine Valley Farm Aid twenty nineteen. Sweet. That's not even that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, and Alpine. So that's right. My like in-laws, you, I can hear the concert from their house. Wow. So yeah, it was. It's been in Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Chicago, North Carolina, New York, Kansas. It was in Milwaukee in 2010, Maryland, Massachusetts, yeah, New should, Jersey. Yeah, it's. Should have went in 2019. Did it a lot of different. Last time it was Noblesville. Looks like 2001. So yeah, now it's it's moved around a lot. A couple times it repeated. There was in Bristol, Virginia, two years in a row, 99 and 2000. That's probably a COVID thing or something. 99 in and 2000. Oh, no. COVID didn't exist no. yet, Todd. Yeah, it's definitely COVID. No, it was actually <laughs> two years in a row, or four years in a row, it was doubled up. 97, no. 98 was in okay. Tinley Park, Illinois. It was just easier then? Yeah, for some reason, they must have. Two year contracts. Yeah, they did two year contracts, yeah. Because it seems to be the only time it doubled up was for that period. And they do keep it pretty heavy in the Midwest. It goes like I saw it was in Raleigh one year. Yeah, it's been in the East Coast a couple times, New York, uh, Connecticut, it was in, but it's pretty solid mid Midwest. I mean, they they seems like they try and hang hang here. Bring it back to Alpine Valley. I'll buy tickets. I'm sure it'll make it. It's been in Wisconsin twice, so I'm sure it'll make it back here at some point. All right, thank you, Matt. Thank you, Max, and thank you to all our listeners out there. Please subscribe to the podcast and tell a farmer friend. All you need to do is go on your iPhone and go to Apple podcasts and download that app and you're good to go or on if you want to go on a android phone you need to download an app like podcast addict Podlean, and player fm you can also listen on a smartphone browser or a computer browser go to tiltheg.com slash podcast we're also available on amazon music and you can follow us on facebook and twitter 
at Tilth Talk Radio. All right. Thanks, Todd. Now we'll move into our Cool Beans. That's corny with some current events. So Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Our Cool Beans this week. A Wisconsin state senator introduced a egg short course funding bill. So Senator State Senator Joan Balwig introduced a bill that uh, went out for co-sponsorship. The bill will provide an increase to the University of Wisconsin Board of Regents by nearly $148,000 this fiscal year and $225,000 next fiscal year to help the program's new home, University of Wisconsin River Falls, get the program up and running. So they're looking to get it done as soon as possible. Hopefully be able to have some hearings yet this summer and get it through the legislature in September. We've been following on the podcast, we've been following the short course, you know, move and reintroduction. So felt this was pretty fitting to keep it in and show that, you know, it seems like some people are committed to making this work. Um, if we got to spend a little extra money, I, I think short course is super valuable. So we should do what, kind of what it takes to keep it. Yeah. No, the support is there and hopefully we'll be able to continue to. It's too bad. It, it it's got to be reestablished that they couldn't have just sort of moved it and kind of kept it going. And I feel bad for kids that were planning on going there in these two years that there's not much of a program. And then even this where they're going to have a program, but they still need a lot of funding to, to make it happen. So hopefully this goes through. I don't want to name names, but somebody's alma mater, I think had a pretty big hand in that. (laughs) Agreed. No, Matt. Oh, you're talking about Todd. Yeah. (laughs) The, the decisions they make in Madison now have nothing to do with me. <laughs> That's not true. I saw, I've been to Todd's house. He's got a little red phone that sits on his counter. Yeah, yeah, just he's like little, the president. It's shaped like a W. Yeah, and it goes straight, it goes straight to the chancellor's <laughs> office. Need to donate a lot more money. I need, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my season, you, my season you, tickets are not enough pretty, to get full strings like that. If you just would have donated every time the, they the, called you. Well, yeah, the, the 148000 that they're looking for here. Just, right. There's got to be that many alumni. If, if 148000 alumni gave a dollar, this would be this non-issue. Would be, my, my, se- my season tickets for wrestling, my two seats, did never got me any pull at the... Yeah, my, they never helped. My $300 a year contribution to the university never really <laughs> never really got me any pull. So Otherwise, I would have definitely fought for short course. If you just would have donated the year when they'd call you after you graduated, did you get those calls? Oh, that was, like, oh, we're just asking everybody to donate the year. And I always laughed at that. I was like, what are they like? Donate did I get it. Did they, you say donate the year? Yeah. So like, I if you graduated, and then they they call you like a couple years later, like oh, two thousand eight, like just donate the year twenty dollars and eight cents. Not two thousand. I mean, I'm sure you could do, donate two thousand eight dollars, and they'd be super happy, but. Yeah, that was their, that their was gimmick their, for a while. Like, stick. So, yeah, just mm. we're just asking everybody to donate the year. So, you know, it was like $20 and whatever cents through the last 15 years, whatever wow. it's been. 16 years, I guess. But, <clears throat> yeah. I'm good. Yeah, okay. Got it. Yeah. Got it. But anyway, that's not our that's corny. Our real that's corny. This week is low river levels could affect fertilizer shipments. So it seems like you're going to set me off. Mississippi River is on a uh, some sort of weight loss program. She gave up the <laughs> diet for a little while because it was really low. Then it was really high, and now it's really low again. Obviously, it has to do with the weather. Um, you know, we gained. I feel like it was not even. I don't think it's been a year since levels returned to uh, where they were supposed to be and now we're down again but yes according to fertilizer experts they say low levels along the mississippi river could have an impact on fertilizer shipments josh linville with stonex tells the reporter here that it may not affect imports to the u.s but it could affect the ability to move those imports from the gulf of mexico up through the countryside this i put my tinfoil hat on already for this one started hearing rumblings last week of like fertilizer prices coming down and we're going to see some really good numbers this fall for farmers so of course we have to have something like so that we can try and prolong that so whether it's a train derailment in canada or the river's too full or doesn't have enough water you know we gotta have gotta have somewhere where we can blame you know that it's not our fault that fertilizer is expensive it's uh you know i'm just uh, i get so frustrated about this every time every time you hear it's coming down it's like wow it was coming down 
But then, then this happened. Then, yeah, this happened. And we haven't actually had to even pay for this yet, but we're still raising our price in anticipation <laughs> of higher prices coming. So, and this is like, well, we don't. It's not even happening yet. Like they're not even saying it happens. Well, look, they're saying it could potentially, maybe it it may is the way. It, in the rivers, I mean, there was a lot of snow melt in the northern part that feeds this river this this spring, so that's helped it and. I mean, obviously, it's been dry, but the, if you look at the areas where the river goes, it's not been super dry either. Yeah, this is this is big furt trying to just oh, this. <laughs> I, this fires me up. I don't know. I'm no, I, you're right, I get really right. frustrated it's, about this. I oh, it, like I said, I think last year we heard prices were going to go down, and then the because they got the they got back in the river. Do you remember this? It was like hmm. prices are coming down. The river's open again. Oh train derailed in canada there goes all our potash never mind it's still gonna be 800 dollars a ton like i remember that being like what the heck so yeah i i'm pretty corny if you ask me yeah hopefully we'll it's see like nothing come out of it but it's like it's sorry i can't come to your that. wedding that day i have a headache you know one of those deals <laughs> you know nobody's ever said that to you before no like i don't think i've ever I, I, my brothers and i say that to each other all the time and they're like hey you know we're gonna we're gonna pour concrete in our in my driveway in a couple weeks can you come on this saturday no nope, sorry i got a headache that day <laughs> yeah, so i'm gonna be anywhere else that day sorry yeah i think i got a haircut or something all right now we'll wrap things up with our field good friday so this week we're talking farm rescue and they've celebrated their 1,000th farm assistance case. So it's a nonprofit that helps farmers in need by helping with volunteers to do farm work, free planting, helping with hay, harvest, hauling, livestock feeding, anything that you could need if you're challenged by major illness, injury, or natural disaster. Farm Rescue marked the milestone of harvesting winter wheat crop at farm of Brad Pfeiffer in Palestine, Illinois. On the farmstead, uh, they had suffered destruction from tornadoes this spring of buildings, grain storage, and equipment. So Farm Rescue helped families keep their operations going when faced with overwhelming challenges. This organization embodies the spirit of community and lifts the burden on family farms when they are in need, according to Senator John Haven, we congratulate Farm Rescue and its volunteers on this tremendous milestone and join the 1,000 families they've assisted in thanking them for their service to farm communities. So it was founded in 2005 by North Dakota native Bill Gross and now provides equipment and volunteer manpower to serve families in crisis across eight states. I, uh, I watched the Millennial Farmer. He did a video. He actually went down to Palestine to help with this one. Okay. To drive combine. I think it was a lot of it was to bring it, you know, bring some notoriety or some publicity to Farm Rescue. But it was cool to hear the story of like how this actually goes down, like what happens and how it all works out. And yeah, they helped a thousand farms now. And yeah, they can't help everybody every year, but what they are able to get done is. It, I don't. I don't know if we could ever quantify what it could mean for a farm. You know, the, when you like these, the story here, man, they showed their farm and their equipment, what it looked like after the storm, and <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know that that they survive without without this help. Honestly, it was it was devastating to watch. So it was so, cool. It's cool that it was that it happened. Like, it's a, it always amazed me in the farming community how these happen sort of organically. That usually. When you have some starts helping a neighbor, oh yeah, that that you know, a death in the family, and all of a sudden you know they got neighbors that help harvest all kinds of stuff. Producing at eight combines, right? Yeah, and it is cool that this guy developed an actual organization that can help even even in bigger ways. I'm sure. So yeah, I think because he's able to organize kind of across the country where you know we, I mean we can't normally. It's like I can help anybody within twenty miles. Well. He's able to kind of organize anywhere in the Midwest. I think he goes, I think they say nationwide. It's, it's, it's more Midwest-based. Uh, on their website, it states Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Minnesota, Montana, Nebraska, North Dakota, and South Dakota. Yeah. Is where they That's a pretty big reach. It's, that, that can help. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. And, like, Farm Rescue actually owns some of their own equipment, too, which I think is awesome. Yeah, they have a 
tractor fundraiser where you can get your name added to the hood of a John Deere tractor. And yeah, it looks like they've got balers, tractors. I'm assuming planting equipment too, because they mentioned planter. They have a couple combines. So cool story, cool, cool, like big milestone for them. So yeah, a thousand farms. All right, well that'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So this week we talked forage options. If you've got winter wheat coming off, there may be some options for you to plant a fall forage. In our spotlight, we took a look at Syngenta's new corn herbicide coming out hopefully next year. Egg History Minute, we talked Farm Aid. Cool Beans, that's corny, our Cool Beans this week was a state senator introducing an egg short course funding bill. That's corny is low river levels in the Mississippi could affect fertilizer shipments. And our Field Good Friday was Farm Rescue celebrating their 1,000th farm assisted. So thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.